You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Matt Armstrong, who blogs about U.S. public diplomacy at mountainrunner.us, goes on the record online. If people are holding us to what is called our say-do gap, the difference between what we say and what we do, and they're doing that through online media, uh, we should be doing the same thing. Mountain Runner blogger Matt Armstrong goes on the record online about public diplomacy, repairing America's image abroad, and whether or not the U.S. Department of State will ever be adequately resourced to lead the U.S. government's public diplomacy and strategic communications efforts. All that and more after this. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. Today, we're talking about one of our core offerings, the online pressroom. Using iPressroom's media platform content management system, non-technical communications pros can easily upload, manage, measure, and distribute their content in a full-featured, branded online pressroom. See pressroom.target.com for an example. The same is available on a smaller scale as well for nonprofits, smaller organizations, and mid-sized companies. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email us questions to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com slash demo. Matt Armstrong from Mountain Runner, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So now you uh, defined public diplomacy as the direct or indirect engagement of foreign publics to support national security objectives, correct? Correct. Is, is it more than that, or is that it? Well, I actually think it is more than that, uh, because it's a global environment. I think public diplomacy uh, should really become more global engagement, because public diplomacy in that definition was accepting that there's a non-U.S. component. That is, there's a geographic distinction between who you need to talk to, and the reality is you need to talk to uh, a, a global audience, which includes Americans, and it includes uh, uh, news people and audiences here within the United States. So I, that is a, uh, that's a good definition. I think it can be better, but that was a palatable definition. So it is, it's about security, not necessarily commerce, not necessarily culture. Well, I think security includes commerce. Um, I'm not so much believing that it includes culture, but I, it does include health. Uh, it does include, you know, finance. If you distinguish that from from commerce, uh, it's a broad range. You know, I, I, I'm of the belief that the next war is not going to be fought with bullets. It may not start with bullets. It may never have bullets in it, and it may be an economic war. And uh, just as your listeners know, with public relations, perceptions matter. And you have to be able to manage perceptions and uh, encounter uh, bad information that's put out there intentionally to harm you. So, so with that in mind, who are who are these people? Who are these violent extremist organizations out there? And are they using online techniques to build movements? And if so, how? 
Uh, well, the groups are, are numerous. You can go from uh, small insurgent groups within Iraq to larger groups that have uh, uh, broader names, Taliban, Al-Qaeda, uh, their affiliates, their wannabe affiliates, uh, terrorist groups that are unrelated. Uh, and they're using the uh, online media, the new media, to sway public opinion, to insert their ideas and their messages and their videos into global media. Uh, often that information is not countered, it is not questioned, uh, and it is directed at their own base that they keep, that they seek to build up and they seek to, uh, uh, to deepen and have more reliable uh, uh, support for themselves. And, and what, in your opinion, should we be doing to, to counterbalance that? Well, we first need to acknowledge that that's going on. That's the first step, is to know, <laughs> identify your problem, accept that you have a problem. And the second thing is, the easiest thing, is to uh, dispel the lies and the myths that they are promulgating about themselves. For example, Hezbollah has a really stunning and fantastic video that uh, is a stirring nationalist video. Uh, when you watch it as an outsider, you just can't see how it resonates. But there is some resonate. It, it, it does resonate because it portrays Hezbollah as a nationalist defender of Lebanon that crosses religion and culture. Uh, you know, countering that would be highlighting how Hezbollah isn't doing what they're saying. If if people are holding us to what is called our say do gap, the difference between what we say and what we do. Uh, and they're doing that through online media, uh, we should be doing the same thing. What is your opinion of the U.S. government and particularly the State Department's use of web-based communications? How are they doing? I think they're doing pretty well. I think they can do a lot better, uh, but I think they're doing pretty well. Uh, relative, however, to other agencies or other departments, for example, the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Defense, uh, I don't think they're doing very well at all. And let me tell you why. Uh, Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security understand that this online media environment is not about direct connectivity. You know, just like uh, uh, branding for uh, any product is not about directly reaching a person, but is getting other people to become your proxies or your ambassadors to share the message and to talk about, hey, this is a great product or this is a, a great thing you should listen to or, or whatever. You can't talk to them as a company directly. DHS and, uh, and DOD uh, both make information, images, text, video freely and readily available so that uh, bloggers, Twitterers, whatever, can all grab that content, stick it on their site and repurpose it. In the corporate sense, it's like making wallpaper. It's like making video, sound video, the viral video. Um, uh, A&E had that hammer time video uh, that went up on YouTube where a bunch of um, uh, uh, hammer impersonators went into a store, store and they started playing the music. And uh, you know, that crossed from real time to, uh, uh, to uh, the, the virtual space. The State Department, in contrast, uses AP photos on their website which AP doesn't like anybody repurposing their, their, their content. So State Department is putting images, nice images, great images, up on their website, but that can't be used by, uh, by anybody that's going out there. So sharing the message for the State Department's purpose is primarily simply textual. And we know that text doesn't go as far as video 
and uh, and in pictures. Any other um, any other shortcomings or or perhaps uh, you know constructive criticism that you might have, maybe particularly um, to the U.S. Uh, Department of State's blog Dipnote? Uh, yes, um, uh, the Dipnote blog, and I know the guys behind the Dipnote blog, and I've and I've shared this with them uh, several times. The Dipnote blog is used primarily as an extension of the public affairs podium. It's not being used to become a uh, a real trusted global communicator that people will go to for information. It remains mute on various subjects that the public affairs podium actually will will speak on. Uh, so I there I think the Dipnote blog is serving a purpose. It definitely shouldn't be abolished by by no means. Um, it has a lot of room for improvement, and I think it should be using used as another platform to get out uh, platform-specific messages. A blog can get out uh, particular messages, kinds of communication, images, and uh, uh, that it's simply not doing. What about the uh, the various Facebook pages that have been set up by so many U.S. embassies abroad? What do you what do you think of those? I mean, are you a fan, or, or have you become a fan of any of those pages? I haven't really taken a look at them, but I have no problems with them doing that. I think uh, it's another space for them to be involved in. I think they should be looking at two audiences. One is their local regional audience, not necessarily within their country, but whatever is the appropriate region. Um, and, uh, of course, primarily with the country, but uh, usually extending beyond those borders. Um, but uh, also the Americans, the American audience. Uh, and if that makes uh, makes it easy for people to engage the embassy, because the embassy is, after all, an outpost not only for the president to engage locally, but also for Americans to use as a resource, I think it's terrific. Are you familiar with uh, the uh, uh, social network um, set up on Ning? Uh, yes. By the yeah, it's called Exchanges Connect, and it was set up by the U.S. Department of State. Yep. What do you think of that? Uh, are you, first of all, do you have a profile on Exchanges Connect? Um, to be honest, I have to answer, I think so. Uh, I haven't used it. I'm pretty sure I do. Um, uh, I like Exchanges Connect. I think it's, uh, it's pretty good from when I was looking at it before, and uh, it seems to have gotten a lot of traction. Uh, to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time in it, but I do know State Department does like the Ning platform, uh, the Africa Bureau. Uh, has set up uh, africainfo.ning.com and uh, uh, I'm hoping that gains traction um, because it's addressing an underserved area of the world uh, that the State Department is uh, is interested in. But of course you have a, a post on your blog uh, where you talk about the world map of social networks um, mm -hmm. and you link to uh, the gentleman who actually did the research. What was his name? Uh, Excellent question. Okay, well, we can we can put a link to it in the show notes, um, and obviously we see in there that uh, you know Exchanges Connect does not register. Uh, the biggest ones are you know Facebook and uh, and LinkedIn and MySpace, and then of course you have these uh, social networks as you identified in your blog post, um, where language is, is is not English. You know, it's often some other social network. Um, do you think do you think it's uh, it's wise to try to set up your own social network isolated from these larger social networks where more people are? Um, 
I, I would say it depends. I think you, just like with anything in the online sphere, you can't do or anything. You, you can't make blanket statements. I think if you can integrate uh, with something uh, readily and easily uh, and cross platforms, that's your ideal. For example, if you said that it wasn't popular, if it wasn't good to create your own platform, then that argument could easily be applied to creating a blog. It doesn't make sense to create a blog. Why not just create it on Facebook? Um, so I think that if if you you want to reach out, you need to look at what is the best platform for you to connect. How can you get that information out there? And of course, nothing in the online sphere is within a silo. Uh, Twitter uh, doesn't operate alone. Blogs don't operate alone. Uh, uh, Facebook doesn't operate alone. And so, in that sense, I think Ning is still a, a very good platform. It provides some capability for publishing and interaction uh, uh, that's useful and worthwhile and valuable. Um, uh, that Facebook does not and blogs do not. Uh, uh, but that doesn't mean that blogs should be ignored. Facebook should be ignored or Twitter should be ignored. So uh, I, I don't think that in and of itself is, is a problem because you can always uh, connect to those other non-U.S. Uh, sites. I want to ask you a hypothetical question. It's, it's a question you're never going to be at. Nobody's ever going to be asked this question. But uh, it, I think the answer would make for, make for a good podcast. And the question is this. If you were alone with the Secretary of State, and, uh, and Madam Secretary said to you, Matt, what do we do? It's, it's in your hands. Uh, I, I need to figure out how to achieve effective global engagement via the web. What do we do? What do we do first? How do we do it? What would you say? That's, a, that's, that's not a small question, of course. Um, the, uh, the first thing I would say, and this is, this is because of my particular focus. If I was an online person, I might focus on something else. If I was chiefly a, a, a new mediaist, perhaps I would focus on something else. But my first answer would be tear down the walls to prevent effective global uh, electronic engagement. And what I'm referring to uh, are the bureaucratic and institutional barriers uh, that create this division between public affairs and public diplomacy. Uh, it's what causes Dipnote not to uh, uh, to self-censor and to be quiet on issues people are asking about. Um, and it's what creates uh, fear in the public diplomacy area that if you tear down this wall, public affairs will take them over. And what I'm chiefly referring to is the Smith-Munt barrier. The online world is a global space. We have this myth that started in 1972 and uh, enhanced in 1985, that there is a non-U.S. and a U.S. sphere of discussion. We need to tear that down because you're not going to be effective in this global communication network uh, if you have that uh, sort of Damocles uh, over your head. Take, take a moment and explain that to us, would you? I mean, in terms of the Smith-Munt um, that you were referring to, Smith-Munt what? Yeah, the Smith-Munn Act. This is something from 1948, and anybody who knows me knows that I've been writing on this quite a bit. Smith-Munn Act is the basis for America's global engagement. It's the basis for what we know today as public diplomacy. And in 19, it was introduced in Congress in December of 1945, and its purpose was to counter the growing communist propaganda that was drowning out our achievements in Europe and elsewhere around the world. Uh, its purpose today is perceived as only a censorship of the government to prohibit public diplomacy, 
uh, from reaching American audiences. Uh, the idea being that public diplomacy is, is propaganda in the most pejorative sense, or that it is some kind of uh, uh, horrendous influence. Um, but those definitions, those beliefs stem from uh, a, a 1972 change in the law spearheaded by Senator Fulbright of Fulbright Exchanges, um, uh, who said that uh, America's radios, which was the new media of its time, America's radios, VOA, Radio for Europe, etc., should be given the opportunity to take their place in the graveyard of Cold War relics. Uh, that was 72. Now, nobody today thinks of 72 as having anything to do with a Cold War relic. Uh, and in 1985, Senator Zerensky was com said that USIA, US, United States Information Agency, which was uh, uh, created in 1952 to uh, be America's public diplomacy arm, uh, he said for uh, USIA to uh, uh, broadcast or be available to American audiences was akin to a Soviet propaganda machine, domestic Soviet propaganda machine. Uh, and the result was uh, American public diplomacy information was uh, uh, barred from American audiences to the extent that the Freedom of Information Act uh, could not, would not access uh, uh, USIA material. Uh, today you have a problem where America.gov, which is a fine site, although they can be a little bit more uh, uh, cutting edge on some of the, the stories they, they put out there, uh, America.gov, um, technically should it be read by Americans. And the publications of State Department's uh, IIP, uh, the, the international information programs, the guys that put together books, for example, or even do Exchanges Connect. Um, their products, what they do, are not supposed to be available to American audiences. Now people sort of say, look, you know, the intent is overseas audiences. Well, no, we need to break that down. For example, as, as your audience knows, if you want to communicate to Latin America, what's one of the easiest ways to do it and most effective ways? You broadcast in Spanish within the United States. You know, there are a bunch of foreign nationals in the United States, foreign media operates in the United States, and uh, 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 the way we perceive the Smith-Munt Act is that we, the United States is neutral territory. Uh, and that, that, that's simply false, and everybody who throws up an argument or an example that uh, there's undue influence, they always show, throw an example from public affairs, not public diplomacy. Um, so that's what I'm. That's the long-winded version of, of Smith Mund Act uh, of, of its impact today. I uh, I trust my good friends to admit when they're wrong. Um, given that most governments have trouble acknowledging their mistakes, how can we ever effectively win the trust of individuals via the web? Um, well, you have to establish trust over time. Credibility. I'm not, I don't really understand the question, but let me dissect it. You, you can't win trust. You have to establish trust. It takes time to establish trust and establish credibility, um, and it, it's very easily lost. Uh, we understood that when we first do started doing public diplomacy, uh, long before it was called that. It was simply called public affairs. Uh, it takes time to establish trust and credibility, and you have to operate as if it's uh, uh, something that's precious and easily lost. Uh, and you have to engage people and be open and honest with people. 
uh, and show them both the good and the bad so that uh, they know you're not just uh, you know blowing smoke. Uh, there was a report uh, released, uh, it's released annually by uh, uh, internet, uh, a global PR firm called Edelman. It's called the Trust Barometer. And um, it seeks to determine uh, what the most trusted sources of information are. And uh, from the 09 report, one of the, th- one, of the, one of the attributes of a trusted organization is it's an organization that communicates openly and honestly frequently. And of course, you know, a newspaper that uh, publishes information uh, daily is apt to get a few things wrong once in a while. There's just no way you can be right all the time. Um, So uh, if if, um, effective engagement, global engagement, is, um, is, is communicating regularly, honestly, and openly, I imagine you're going to get a few things wrong once in a while, um, and I wonder, you know, in those times when you get something wrong, uh, does how you deal with it impact your reputation and others' ability to trust you um, moving Absolutely. forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you need to be open about it, and that's uh, I was getting to that point when I said, you know, you have to show the good and the bad. Edward R. Merle recognized that. Uh, The guys that started public diplomacy, again, before it was called public diplomacy, uh, it was back called public affairs, they're the same people that founded public relations um, in the 1940s. Uh, The concepts are the same. You have to be honest, you have to be open, and you have to be frequently engaging. And the online media space uh, uh, makes that even more important because lies can be easily... um, easily discovered and penetrated and then replicated out that you were a liar can easily be replicated out. This is why I call it uh, a now media environment. I don't like new media environment. It's not new and old. I mean, you've got both crossing over. What I tell people when I do uh, uh, presentations on this subject, and and I always get challenged on this from somebody in public affairs, I ask them, look, are you when you're speaking to the press or your principal is speaking to the press and you're so focused on old media, are you telling CNN, New York Times uh, that this is only for the broadcast or the print edition of their paper or uh, of, of what they're doing? No. Everything crosses over back and forth. This is a, a now media environment. It happens quickly and you have to be uh, agile and uh, and uh, and be able to react quickly and even react before to anticipate how somebody is going to hit you uh, and mitigate it. Or if you know that somebody is going to put out a lie, you can put something out beforehand. And one of the examples, I think, in this honesty honest, honesty, and, and openness is uh, that we should be taking a look at is how Domino's handled the YouTube incident. They did a pretty good job on that. Um, they came out pretty quickly. Uh, but you need to uh, stay frequent and frequently engage with your customer, otherwise uh, uh, your relevance is gone and you're not the go-to spokesperson. You know, both terrorists and politicians need to be in front of the people frequently to be relevant today. Since, um, you know, since the origins of, of, of the U.S., since the Declaration of Independence, um, the U.S. has been creating a legacy of information, both domestically and abroad. And Google, by comparison, is is really not even a teenager yet. 
So, I mean, given that it's going to take time to migrate all this information, all this data online, and given that departments are going to need to prioritize what to do first, what advice do you have for diplomats who are struggling to decide which new media and social media communications channels are most important? I would say they look at, they need to figure out what are they trying to achieve? What's the goal? Don't get technology-based. Focus on the message. Uh, look at what's what, are the, what, what is the audience they're trying to communicate with and what does that audience use? If you're going after the low-hanging fruit, that's where you need to start. Uh, you know, remember when the web first came out, when URLs were being picked up and people were saying, I don't know why I need to be on the web, I just know I do. Well, you know, I don't know why I need to be on Twitter, I know I do. Uh, it doesn't work now just like it didn't work then. Twitter is not simply an extension of uh, another place to dump a press release. So I would say they need to know what are they attempting to achieve. The, the purpose of engagement has not changed. The speed has changed. The need to communicate um, itself has not changed. Why are they doing it and what are they attempting to achieve? Um, now the problem is when you're talking about diplomats is that uh, I think for the most part we've lost a lot of understanding what that need is over the last 20 years uh, because our public diplomacy has been uh, under supported and under uh, has been has dropped in importance uh, fortunately over the last couple of years that's uh, that's changed but ultimately they need to go back to and go back to what is their chief mission what are they attempting to achieve and if you look at going back to that uh, 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 that report of uh, uh, the world map of social networks you know is it MySpace? Is it QQ? Is it uh, which is China? Uh, Orkut, which is Google and India and Brazil, etc. Is that the is that the platform? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on uh, depends on what they are attempting to achieve. So many um, uh, social media and new media advocates um, hail the uh, the low cost of these channels, but the truth is, it does take time. And, uh, and so my final question for you, Matt, um, is this. Is there any hope that the Department of State will be adequately resourced to lead the U.S. government's public diplomacy and strategic communications efforts? That's a good question, but I don't think it's the right question. Uh, the right question is, can the institutional culture be, uh, um, can the institutional culture be shifted to match the requirements? I think Alec Ross is doing a good job. He's the senior advisor in innovation for the Secretary of State. Uh, he's got a heck of a challenge in front of him. Uh, whether or not he or his boss can get the money is not the issue. Just like uh, uh, Under Secretary of State for Public Diplomacy, uh, Judith McHale, it's not whether or not she can get the money. It's whether or not uh, the cultural barriers, the, the institutional cultural barriers will allow uh, uh, what needs to be done by those that understand what needs to be done to get done. So the biggest challenge is, is actually not the money. And if you look at the reticence of, from Congress over the past, really, 20 years, uh, not the last year or two years or three years, or actually the last, not the last year, but a uh, year before, 20 years back, the money has disappeared because Congress didn't have a lot of confidence in the state. That's actually one reason, that is a chief reason why the Smith-Munn Act exists, is because Congress had no confidence in states' ability to engage with people around the world, not countries, people. 
um, and that's why the act was uh, was largely passed. Uh, and today we're suffering the same thing. Can state as an institution adapt to be effective in this? It's not a matter of money. This you, you can't throw money at it. The, the, the culture has to uh, shift, and people have to understand what and why they're doing and understand that they have new tools in the palette that their adversary is using uh, as well as their friends and that they need to get in there too otherwise you're not relevant in today's environment Matt Armstrong at mountainrunner.us thank you for joining us thank you you've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.